The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. I'm one of the pastors. I'm so glad to be here. I have been spending a lot of time in Manistee, uh, which I love as well. Uh, but you guys are a little cooler. Just tell anybody that. Tell anybody that. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. So if you have uh, a Bible or a device or whatever, I'm going to encourage you to open that up. I'm going to be reading out of ESV today. Uh, and we're going to be talking about worship not just worship, but costly worship is what we're going to be going for. But uh, before we get there, um, I need to share a story with you. I love telling stories, and maybe you like hearing them. I have the mic, so it doesn't matter. Uh, what I'm going to do is, is share this story years back. Now, some of you know uh, that I am a recovering uh, drug addict alcoholic, and this was early in my uh, sobriety, and I had these three guys in my life that were called sponsors. The sponsors are like mentors. They're people who care deeply about me, and they've been given a gift, and they want to pass it on because that's the way they can keep their gift is to give it away. So they're working with me. Now, these three guys, they were really cruel and mean. And uh, what I didn't know, see, I was arrogant, and I still can be, and I was young. I'm not anymore. Uh, but uh, they played me like a fiddle for years. And I didn't realize it. Now, all three of these guys happen to be Christians. Uh, that's not the goal of uh, an organization like AA is to, you know, help somebody follow Jesus. Um, but it can be a natural outcome, and that's what they were using in this small way. So they're pushing me all of the time to take further steps. Uh, and finally, they go, you need to go speak to this group of fellow uh, recovering people. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. It didn't matter. Long story short, I end up doing it. So I get there, and uh, I'm in the car, I'm in the passenger seat, and the gentleman who is my sponsor, one of them, drove me there, and uh, he says, hey, before you go in, let's pray. It's like, okay, good idea, yeah, yeah, let's pray. So we pray, and then we finish, and I start getting out, and he's like, wait, come in here. He said, I want to teach you something. What you're about to do is called worship. I'm like, I don't sing. That's what I thought worship was, is singing, right? Uh, and that's a portion of it. It's beautiful. We just experienced it. And there's something, you know, soul-stirring and, and heart-cleansing about that. But that was my feeling. It's like, no, 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 no. Because you're going to go share uh, how God set you free with these people. Um, and that's called worship. And I'm like, okay. So I'm, I'm walking in. I'm nervous. I am so My palms are so sweaty. I can't hold anything. And I go in, and there's a table like there is, and a person that's welcoming everybody in like you do. Uh, and we had to do name tags, right? 
So I, I'm talking, and I'm, like, super nervous, and I, I write my name tag, and I put it on, and then, you know, after a while, I'm introduced, and I get up, and I, you know, share my story, and there had been these odd comments throughout, you know, before I spoke, when we were just mingling, and then uh, I finish speaking, and get down, and somebody makes mention of my name tag, and so I look at my name tag, and I have this really complicated name to spell, it's Tim, uh, and for whatever reason, I wrote time. <laughs> Think about that. Man. So I wrote time, and it was kind of funny in a joke. I was absolutely mortified. I, I was embarrassed. I completely, one of the you know, issues I had all through childhood was spelling. I still have that as an adult. Uh, you know, but still, it, it's like that's a flaw that I have. And, and, and here's the point. I had an opportunity to worship, but my heart was all about me. It was about me. And so the worship portion, now God still can bless uh, what might come out of my mouth, whether it's good or not. He, he, he can still translate for us. But my, I, I, was so, I never wanted to be in front of people. I never wanted to speak. In fact, I, I, for a long time, I didn't wear name tags. And then I figured out I could just put my initials, Right? This story we're about to read is something that really happened. This is truth. This is part of Jesus' history, and it's accurate, and it's clear. Um, One of the things that I have found that is sustaining in my life is when there's urgency to something. Uh, Complacency comfort doesn't work very well in my world. It doesn't work very well because I get sucked in, and then it's all about comfort. It's about costly worship. So, let's go to scripture. Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. It was now two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Segway, as Mark does. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, as he was reclining at a table, this is Jesus, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? Key sentence right here. Pay attention. She has done a beautiful thing for me. That's what Jesus said. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can go and do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told In memory of her. I just told her story. Truth. Verse 10. Then Jesus Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus, him, the end of scripture. So we're talking about worship. First, we have to define what worship is. 
Uh, you can look up all types of definition, and, and we're going to be talking about God and about Jesus is what we're going to be talking about here. But worship in the world, okay. Worship is this. Worship is ascribing worth to something. It's ascribing worth to something. And, and I've got this theory uh, that, that, that I think is real. I can't, I can't prove it. But here's some of the things we do know. Uh, worship is both a noun and a verb, right? It's a noun because uh, it's about feels, feelings. That, that's, a, that's an attribute of worship. And it's also about action. So it's a noun and it's a verb. But here's my theory that I can't prove, but I believe it's true. Is God creates us, we're born, he knits us in our mother's womb. We come out and, and, and we reach a point of reason, whatever age that is. And I, I, I don't know specifically what that is. But at this point of reason is when we begin to worship. And as a human being... Whatever your position in society, whatever your age is, young or old, you will worship. Period. I believe that with all of my heart. Now, we could discuss that later, and that would be okay. You're wrong. I'm right. Uh, let's just begin there. Uh, but we're going to worship. But we have free will, so here's the deal. You get to choose what it is you worship. You do, not me. You get to choose what you worship. I get to choose what I worship. In our world, it's about God. It's about worshiping God. Now, we're told that we can't have two masters in Scripture. That means we can't have two gods. Big God with the big G and little God with a little G. Or idols or whatever you, you, you may want to. And, you know, my personal experience, my life, I've worshipped a lot of weird things. Just so you know. I've done that. I've had idols like crazy in, in my life. Uh, and once in a while, one sneaks back in and I have to knock it down, throw it away again. You know, I'll probably create some more later in my life. But, but overall, my focus as a human being who's imperfect and I can't, can't get it right all of the time, I need to choose on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis what I'm going to worship. Some of you may worship relationships. That happens. Sometimes I, I, I watch relationships like this person chooses... Uh, another person and, and it's a bad relationship and everything is put into that and then it goes south and then there's another one and then there's another one and maybe some of you have, have experienced that and it's very unfulfilling it's very stress oriented some of us choose to worship things maybe maybe uh our our home or our vehicles or maybe our bank account i don't know we choose something and we're going to have that be the focus of our worship we're ascribing worth to it. Some of us have very costly worship to things that aren't Jesus Christ. Been there, and it's painful. All of the other gods, little G's, all the other idols, they're ruthless, and they're merciless, and they're unforgiving, and they will always demand more. That's my, there, got that off my chest. It's about God, and it's not about us. So, worship, if we, if we look in Scripture a little bit, we can go back uh, in, in time. And so, uh, we're going to pull out three examples out of Scripture. Uh, two of them from the Old Testament, one of them from the New, what we just read, uh, about worship, about, about what it might be. So, the first one is, is this couple of characters named Cain and Abel. 
And if you know scripture, they're the sons, some of the sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel are mentioned specifically. Uh, and, and, and there's a conflict that happens here, and we don't get all of the backstory. We can assume some of the things, but they're called to provide an offering to God. That's what they're going to do. And so they have this relationship with the one who gave them breath and life, who showed them what love was, and they're going to respond. So worship is a response. It's a response. So that's how God designs it to be. He doesn't make us love him. He wants us to. And he's going to love us, whatever our choice is. So they're called to bring these offerings, these sacrifices in the, uh, of their wealth, and they do. They come, and, and Abel brings his, and it's acceptable before God. And Cain brings his, and it's not acceptable before God. And so Cain does what you do, right? What, what human, he murdered his brother. Hopefully it isn't that intense for us, but, but that's what he does. But, but there's this heart issue. There's this heart issue about costly worship. So I'm trying to figure out, well, what does that story even mean? Cain and Abel had a walking relationship with God. He may not have walked with them in the garden, but his presence was so well known. And his parents, both of them, walked with God in the garden. They knew. They knew. They knew. Abel, when he brought his, he took the best of the best of what God had offered him for life. And he, he gave it back. And he did it because it, it's his daddy. Cain brought some of his stuff, maybe the leftovers, and put it before. And he wasn't doing it because he loved God. He did it out of compulsion. One is acceptable and one isn't. One was real and one was false. There's another example in Scripture, and there's this uh, moment in the history of uh, the Israelites, and David is now their king. And David is called a man after God's own heart. Now, that doesn't mean that he was perfect, because if you read about David, you'll find him doing spectacular things and then doing unspectacular sin, uh, and then repenting of that and turning away and doing more spectacular and less. But there's this uh, wealth in his heart. There's this wealth in his heart. He's a king. He can give whatever he wants. But there's this wealth in his heart. So he's not going to give money, but there's this, this time where the ark is coming into Jerusalem and they're going to be placing it. This is a huge moment because Israel has been scattered and they've been slaves and they've been all over the place. And now they have Jerusalem. And this moment when they're bringing it in, and David is so excited, not for himself, but he's so excited about what he now is going to place before God that he begins to dance. So he's dancing, right? No big deal. No, it was a big deal. He's a patriarch. He's an Israelite. You don't dance in public, number one. But he did. And he didn't just dance. He did all the dances. He did all of them. And he got so hot, he took some of his clothes off because he's sweating. And he just kept dancing. And it's going. And it's, he did everything but twerking. Okay? <laughs> so he dances. And it's from the heart. And it's pure. And it's to his daddy. That he's doing it for. His wife, Michael, is watching from a spot. I'm assuming, it, in, in my mind, of course, it's an archway window. And she's looking down and she's got her arms crossed. Oh, she's watching him. Oh, she's mortified. How could he be such a fool? 
Look at him. He's making a complete out of himself. She's feeling it. It's like, why are you doing that? Not only are you, are you being undignified, but I'm your wife. You're, you're making me look like a fool too. And when he comes in, there's a convo about it. She says how she feels. She had a hard heart and she didn't understand the worship. She was all about status. She was all about position. She was always all about being the wife of the king. And the king is supposed to be a dignified guy. And, and David's response, this is why he's a man after God's own heart, is he said, you know what? When it happens again, I will be even more undignified. I don't care about being the king. I care about God. Whew, costly worship. Then we get to Judas and Mary in this story. You know, we talk so many times about how Mark just like, there, there's no wastedness in anything. It's like, here's this situation. When they get to Jerusalem, the first thing we find out is there's a bunch of religious leaders and they're going to try to kill him and they're plotting. You know, it's like, boom. And then the next thing, here we go to this beautiful story. And then at the end is Judas. This is what we know. This is uh, costly for her. Mary has her future in her hands. Now, unfortunately, women in that time, and this is sin from the men in the past, and maybe some today, but women were less than. They were second class, if even. Kind of the status of a, a throwaway slave. And, and, and I'm sorry, but that's what it was. And they had no security. If a man was taking care of a woman and didn't want her anymore, he could just push her up. She was on her own and desolate, and nobody would take her in. She has this alabaster jar, and in it is nard. Nard. Say nard. Nard. Such a cool word. It's oil. So this nard is from the Far East, and it's very rare. In fact, in, in, in that part of the world, when they got nard, it was usually diluted. So, so they added other things. So you could get like one full thing of nard and make, you know, eight little nards out of it and sell them for a lot of money. So she's got this nard, and nard is like a... It's like an essential oil, okay? Um, some of us here may worship essential oils. I don't know. Um, and, and I don't want to start a fight, but uh, nard was, it clung to you. So essential oils, you know, uh, like, like if you put on an essential oil, I'm doing that, I guess that's how you, you, you put on the essential oil, and then as, as you go through your day, everybody else has to smell it for the rest of the day. That's, I mean, there's something about how it attaches and lasts. I mean, okay, let me put it in your terms. Let's say you had nard, right, and you could make it pizza pepperoni flavor, right? And you took one little drop and put it on your wooden floor. Your dog will lick that spot for the next three years. That's how long it stays, right? So out of her heart, she's taking all of her security, her future, everything. And it isn't because Jesus said, go get the most expensive thing and do it. She was so in love with Jesus and the message that he was bringing, the message of love and salvation, the message of hope. She was so in love with that that she, she just went, I've got to give this. And it was costly. It was everything she had. She breaks it and pours it over Jesus' head. And he says this weird thing, you know, she did something beautiful for me. I, I told you, pay attention. It's beautiful. And it's because of her heart and her attitude. And it was because of the costliness of what she gave. 
Now, it's not about the monetary value. Don't go there. That's not it. It, it's, it was costly because it was everything she had, and she poured it over his head. She's in love. In other uh, Gospels, I think in the Gospel of John, we find out that the one who was complaining was Judas. Here's what you might not know about Judas. Judas, uh, through the course of his time, never calls Jesus Lord. He never does. He calls him rabbi, teacher. That's the most honor he will give. All of the other disciples call him Lord. Lord, Lord, who am I? They tell him. They believe. They're in it. He's not. He's also their treasurer. And we find out that he's been skimming from the top or maybe the bottom. I don't know how you skim. But he'd been taking money for himself out of that. And so when this woman comes with this hugely expensive thing, his thought isn't about Jesus or, or, or worship. It's about money. And he wasn't concerned about the poor, about selling it. We could have, he's just using that to shame somebody. Most likely, he would have just had a lot of extra cash for himself had she sold it and put the money in the treasury. No worship at all involved in that. So... We get a definition of what worship is. It's aspiring worth to God. Secondly, is worship is a continual response to God from our heart. It's more than a worship service. Don't we get kind of confused sometimes? We're going to worship, and that means we're singing. And, and that's a beautiful, amazing part of it. It, it, it just is, but that, that's just a tiny little representation of what it is. It's also about obedience, obedience to what to the word of God. It's about obedience. It's about investment. What are you going to invest in? What are you going to invest your time and your money and your effort and your prayer and your love to? That's part of the continual response. What about reverence? What about being committed as part of worship? Here's a word that y'all don't like. What about submission? I struggle with that one. Those are things that are, are, are part of worship. Jesus is asked in the book of Mark. Uh, I think it's in Mark. I can't remember. Jesus is asked by one of, one, one of the Pharisees, tell us the greatest commandment. They're trying to trick him. And Jesus sums up what, how we're supposed to live life and how we're supposed to worship. You're supposed to love God with everything you have, all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. Everything. You love God with all of that. And he adds... So that we understand what worship is. Love your neighbor as you want to be loved. That's worship. Oh, it just got more fun. It just got a little simpler. It means all of life can be worship. Now, we're going to goof up. Guarantee. I will. You will. God doesn't worry so much about that. What he wants us to do is, as weak humans, we're going to fail. But then we turn back. There could be times in our life where there's a dry season and... It may even be for good reasons. I don't know. But if you're attentive to your heart, you'll know something's not right here. So this worship that we give, this really weird word that I'm trying to help us see, does something else. When true worship happens, and I don't get to define true worship. But when costly worship happens, costly worship blesses the heart of God. That's a bold statement. I, I, I struggle with that because it's like, no, I can't do anything to bless God. He blesses me. You know, I'm just a flawed little guy here. 
spelling my name wrong. How could I bless him? Well, Abel's, Abel's sacrifice was from the heart and it showed pure love. And David's dancing was from the heart and it showed pure love. And Mary's anointing was from the heart. It was pure love and it blesses God. Now, let me try to explain it another way. I'm a father. I have four children and I raised them the best that we could, my wife and I. And uh, did we make mistakes? Yes. And we had successes and all of that. But now they're all grown up and there's something weird that happens when they grow up. It's every now and then they'll come over because they're not home anymore. But they'll come over and they'll begin to share something. Maybe it's uh, my birthday and they, they, they bring a gift and they thought about it and they want to give it to me because I love them. And this is one of the ways they're showing back this love. And the feeling I get is I just got blessed by my kids. I don't need the thing, right? That's not it. It isn't the thing. Uh, my boys, you know, they'll all come up and give me hugs at points. We do the guy hug. <laughs> right? Kind of like we have too much body odor and can't get too close or something. I don't know. But then I have a daughter, my youngest, and she'll come up and give me a hug, and I just melt. Now, I love my boys' hugs, but my daughter's hugs blesses me in a way I can't even explain. I think costly worship, when we're showing love and respect and we're investing back to God, he gets the same feeling. Did you know God has feelings? If we're in his image, he has to. We don't really add anything to him when we give. He doesn't need anything. He's not this big, strong guy up there saying, bring me more stuff. He's that, that, he doesn't care about the stuff. He cares about you. So when the relationship is established, he's like, no, oh, that's my son. That's my daughter. And he doesn't care about whether you're a king or a farmer or a poor woman. To God is spirit and those who worship with him must worship in spirit and truth. That means we go back to the noun and the verb. It's the feelings and it's the actions. So when we're worshiping God with our spirit it may show itself physically. So worship. Worship can be costly. I want to ask you a question. Is your worship costly or is it comfortable? Is it costly or is it comfortable? Only you get to decide that. I sure don't. Uh, comfortable is where I like to reside, right? So long ago, uh, I, I was attending a church up in Traverse City, and I can't tell you I was a Christian, but I was close. I'm trying to figure this stuff out, and I'd run away for a long time. We're back, and my wife and I were doing things together at this church, and this word kept coming up, okay? And this isn't about money, but this is about my heart. And the word was tithe, right? Tithe. And thinking, these Christians, in their weird words, tithe. What is that? Is that when the water comes in and goes back out? Is that the tithe? See, I don't spell well. You can laugh. That's the tide. 
this tithe. And, and there's this biblical principle that, you know, that of giving back. And, uh, but, but our life was changing. And, you know, these mentors were now pretty much out of my life. And I'm kind of on my own and working with other people. And it's like, all right, Jesus loves a glad heart. And he wants us to give. So let's do this. Let's do this. Let's tithe. So tithe, you know, it can represent 10%. So went talk to my dad. Dad, is tithe 10%? He says, yes. So my first question, of course, is that pre-tax or after? <laughs> so you see the heart issue right there? Okay, so, is it, so that's my first question. Now, uh, my second question is, uh, Heidi, how are we going to do this? Well, we write checks. Do you know there were these things, these antiquated called checks? You can write a check. And so we decided, okay, this is 10% of, of what we make. Let's do this. And I found out this terrible thing about me is that if I wrote the check, I'm writing the check. For, I got to the amount and it made me angry. Why are we giving that much to those pastors in their fancy boots? What's going on? You know, that, that was my heart. I couldn't write the check. I was angry about giving that much back. How could I possibly live without that? Okay, the whole message is, you know, remember uh, Abel, he gave the best of the best. He gave, he gave whatever percentage it was because he loved the Father. That's why he did it. And I wasn't there. But, see, the church, there's, there's the group of church people, you guys are so weird. Because you got a little envelope. It's called a giving envelope. Right? You get this tiny little envelope. It's, it's like miniature. It's really small. You know, and, and that's where your tithe goes. And then when the plate comes by, you can put it in. Right? See, my thought was, if I'm going to be putting it in, I want a big envelope. I want one that says time all over it. Right? <laughs> Here's the oddity. We could be at home. Heidi would write the check. She'd put it in the envelope. We'd sit down and we're in there. And when the plate came by, I was glad to give it. I had a, the righteous heart. It was, it, is that weird? Why was it that way? I don't know, but God accepted it. He loved it. And I was glad, and he didn't say, until you can write the check. Right? He didn't say that. That wasn't it. And it was costly. And I blessed God the Father with that. There's, that was a costly moment. And then we moved down here, and my goal, honestly, when we were building a house, was I'll never have, this wasn't the only goal, but one of the side goals was I'll never have to go to church again. Traverse City is too far away. For real, I'm admitting that. Never have to go to church. And we did, we ended up, my wife dragged me like crazy. No. She invited me, and I said yes, and here I am. So all of these people before were worshiping God in my life in various ways. And they were loving their neighbor, me, as they wanted to be loved. And this is the fruit of that. And they bless God. Now, there's something amazing is there's this heart feeling that happens when we worship. And we get a glimpse of it, I think, of how God really intends it for us to be when the music is really powerful and we're all rocking out and dancing and have our hands up or not but it's loud and we can feel there's something i can't describe that feeling but it's cool and it's good and i really believe it's holy and it's from god 
But I have a tendency to not have urgency. I have a tendency to get comfortable. No, just in the comfortable realm. Let's just go here. Let's pretend that uh, all we could afford are benches with no backs. And you're all sitting there right now. How do you feel about that? Uh, We're not very comfortable. There's churches all over the world that have to sit on the floor. And, and, and meet in dark places where people could break in and arrest them or kill them. Sometimes as Americans, we're so comfortable that we assume our worship should be comfortable too. We don't want to do something that makes us stand out. We don't want to dance. We just want to be the Buckley guy at the dance with his arms folded and one leg against the wall, right? Even though in our hearts we know we really do want to dance. It's so comfortable. Real worship is going to be costly. It will be costly. It's going to be costly to your pride, number one, to your status, possibly to your bank account, to your time, and to your comfort. I think that this bit of scripture is is, is written so that we get a sense of urgency. Because in this time frame, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, it's going on, and here's these miracles and that miracles, and he's been telling them all along, hey, I'm going to go to this town and I'm going to die there. It's going to be weird. You're going to be scared. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise three days later and something spectacular is going to happen. And they don't get it, and all of a sudden, pow, here we are. They come in, and the very first thing that happens is the religious leaders are going to kill him dead. And then we have the worship story. And then, and then Judas, whose heart is, is, is so satanic, sells him out. He goes. The interesting thing is, is we get to find out later that he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which is nothing. Nothing. He was worried about money a moment earlier. No, he wasn't. He wasn't worried about money at all. And we know as... We're moving up towards Easter. This event is going to happen, and it just goes really fast. There's urgency involved, and we're Americans, and I'm just going to be honest with you. We're comfortable, and we don't like to be pushed. That's it. That's me. Maybe maybe not you. Okay, I, maybe I said that wrong. But for me, I don't always like things when they're uncomfortable. That's just a reality. But in the book of Revelation, John had a vision and wrote it down. And this is real. I believe this is chapter 4, verses uh, 11 through 13. And I want to read it to you, but I want to read it to you with a sense of urgency. Okay? Because everything that we've been talking about is real. Jesus is real. His death was real. His disciples were real. Judas was real. The religious leaders, all of them were real. This stuff really happened. And what's coming down the pipeline through this vision, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but this is what John says. He says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels. Now he describes many angels right here, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice. They didn't say it like this. They said it with a loud voice, all of them together. I have no clue how many this is, but it's, it's a million together. And they're worshiping. They're worshiping. And out of their hearts, this is pure and this is real and this is true. 
This is what he desires for us. And he desires it not because he needs it, but because it blesses him in our relationship with him. That's why he wants us. And they said in a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen, right? Millions of voices in unison loud saying this truth. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I can only imagine what that will be like. It isn't standing there Goody two shoes all dressed up in a choir rub. This isn't what it is. It's truth. And if God's presence is there and Jesus is there, then, then we're so filled with love in return as a response that we can't help but all shout it out. He wants us to live our life that way here now. He does. So if you could just like get in a quiet space. I don't know, bow your head or whatever it feels best for you. But I'm going to ask you, for you in, in worship, hopefully this has cleared up a little bit what worship is. It's, man, we could do a year-long series on worship alone, but costly worship, what is it that you can offer to God that will bless him? What is it in your life? What is your alabaster jar? What is the costly thing? It may be your status. It may be your pride. It may be your need to be right. It may be your fear of crowds. It may be uh, the relationship you're in right now and having fear and not being able to go all in or all out. And I, I don't know what it is, but, but all of those things. Maybe, maybe it's sharing your story with someone else for the first time and not being worried about spelling, but being worried about worship. I guarantee you that if you have costly worship and you present it to the feet of the king, that your heart is going to feel like it feels in a crowd when the best music happens. And you're going to feel it being real. I'm going to encourage you to take the risk this week. What is it that you can offer in worship? What is your alabaster jar? What nard do you have to pour on the head of Jesus? How do you bless God? God.